The Amazons will fight to preserve their way of life at all costs. Listen in now to part four of Rise of the Amazons on the 34 Circe Salon. Well, Vicky, just also to bring us back around to the, the Amazon point. So all of this that you are um, noting right now, how does it lead us eventually to this Amazon, these, this image, this mythic image of the Amazon? How are the Amazons part of this strain you're talking about, just to keep the listener? Well, the traditional or the classical Amazons are, um, are their, these are their ancestors, Okay, perfect. These are Amazons. I mean, you know, Amazon, the word, it's an Indo-European word that means no husband won. Mm -hmm. So the Indo-Europeans perceived the cultures they were destroying as cultures that did not have marriage because they had uh, kinship structures and uh, kind of like matriarchal cultures that we know about uh, who are living cultures in the world right, today. Right. Um, so, so they named them uh, women without husbands or people mm. without husbands. So just to, just to sort of restate that in another way, because a woman's status was not determined by who her husband and who her father is, a patriarchal culture looking at that thinks, well, obviously there is no marriage and no family unit then. Yeah, or at least no no husbands. <laughs> right, yeah. And the family unit, you know, the family unit is the, the typical uh, matriarchal right, right. family compound. But um, because the family unit is not defined by the father, then clearly right. it's, they can't make heads or tails of it. Exactly. And I, I wrote a whole article about this uh, years ago called Priestess to Bride, where I talked about uh, the, the priestesses around the Black Sea. So we're talking much later in the first millennium um, that they were they were buried with certain artifacts that later you see are bridal artifacts in huh. various cultures around there. And I believe that the whole the whole um, paraphernalia uh, of the bra of the of the priestess was just transferred. The whole thing was transferred onto the bride when patriarchal marriage happened, and that it was a colonizing practice. Right. Yeah. And, and you see it because some of the chieftains coming in from the east in that late period, uh, like fifth century BCE, are um, are buried together in uh in kurgan burials uh with a local priestess and they call it inter intermarriage that's sort of the beginning but it probably isn't the beginning you know it's probably way back when they first uh, abducted their brides right yeah but it's uh it's really important to understand that that's a key difference between a patriarchal culture and a matriarchal culture is that in a patriarchal culture, you've got to keep track of which children belong to which men. Right. Otherwise you can't, you know, do property and all that and pass it down. Um, and in a matriarchal culture, that's of no consequence whatsoever because all the women are the mother of all the children and, and all the, all the men in the community are the fathers of all the children. You know, they, they might be biological fathers, but that's of no consequence. Uh, let's see. Uh, there's a place 
that I mention a great deal in the Double Goddess book because I was fascinated by it. The, the, there's, it's called Alacha Huyup. It's in the center of Turkey. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the date on the burial that I'm interested in and that I feature in my book is, is 2300 BCE which is just such an important date. It comes up again and again and again. Mm. Um, things were shifting. and But this is a burial of a priestess in her mobile cart um, that has finials. The, it would be like a four-poster bed, kind of, if you can imagine. And, okay. And the finials are the kind of, uh, it almost looks like Scythian art, but it's much too early. Uh, but it's that kind of animal art uh, in the in the uh, in, like deer and uh, possibly even a griffin, but I but I can't remember now. I'd have to look. Anyway, mm-hmm. the priestess herself wears a diadem, so she could be a queen easily. Mm-hmm. Um, she's buried in this uh, cart. She has quite a large Cycladic mirror. Uh, uh, which would be uh, kind of a water oracle where the priestess uses the mirror, which they mistakenly called uh, frying pans for a long time in the Cycladic scholarship. (laughs) (laughs) They found frying pans with these high-ranking women. Um, (laughs) Oh, my goodness. It's actually a form for holding water, and the water is for divination. And the priest uh, is buried with these important tools of her trade. And that was one of them. She's also wearing uh, a belt that was made of leather, but has uh, five little uh, pairs of gold double goddesses. Mm. uh, That's just beautiful. Miniature, you know, I think they're like two inches high. It's a belt. Mm -hmm. And, uh, And so she's wearing that and she's wearing the diadem and she's, uh, got other great things with her, and it just seems like such an important. There's a lot of gold, and so I was linking that to uh, to some of the cultures in the Caucasus that I think may have also had very strong women. And then they, and then there's a movement to Alacha Huyuk in the center, and then I think to Troy because at Troy the jewelry from this strata that Schliemann excavated. So at the end of the, of the third millennium, mm-hmm. the jewelry looks like the jewelry at Alacha Huyuk. And mm. they, they're, they're contemporaneous. So that, uh, that seemed important to me. There's- well, the, the caucuses, Vicki, I know we're going to come up with probably in a podcast that are coming up soon. There is a lot of information of women in that particular region and their connection with the classical Amazons. Yes. And- and you know that's I I made uh, I made the character Medea uh, quite a central part of my double goddess book. I I talked about her being abducted from Colchis in uh, in the in the Caucasus and brought back to Greece and that whole story and then and then my friend Miriam who's a linguist uh, she translated the texts herself and went back to find the earliest uh, stories of Medea. And in the early stories of Medea, she does not kill her children. Hmm. That's a very late overlay in classical Greece. Um, so just for people to know that. But anyway, I think Medea is a prototype 
of a real uh, shaman priestess woman who was uh, taken from her land in the Caucasus and brought to Greece. It would certainly certainly make sense. And also weren't from that same region, the Circassian women, weren't they also in later dates, they were also kind of uh, women who I think would be abducted a lot. Uh, And this is in the that even yeah. might be first millennium. It's even yeah. Later. Well, it's, it's even even later than that too. Yeah. Actually, it's crazy. It's even uh, talking about fifteenth, sixteenth, seventeenth century. You know, AD kind of thing. So uh-huh. it's just that region seems to have this unbroken chain of this view. These these perceptions or stereotypes of women either as dangerous or alluring or something right in that. Well, uh, that's Georgia, history. You know? that, yeah. Now you're getting history, his story, right. and so. History is different than archaeology. I mean, in archaeology, because it's mostly men doing this stuff, they uh, they got their own story. But but there's no written story until mm-hmm. Homer. Uh, so so we don't you know. So once you get history, then you start getting these these distorted views of women. Exactly. And that's why I'm so fond of all the imagery and using the archeological artifacts uh, in order to do the research from from this period, particularly the third millennium, because there's so much visual material, but Mm. they haven't invented the Greek alphabet yet, you know, because the Greeks haven't even come yet. so, yeah, similar to what uh, Max Dashu was saying that, uh, you know, she found that uh, the way in for her, the, the most sensible way in for her was to collect images. Yes. Um, because, yes. you know, a picture tells a th- uh, is worth a thousand words and, um, you know, no. just give, give people the picture rather than the archaeological interpretation of the picture. That's right. I always tell my students, when you go to these museums, they're very helpful, but don't read the captions. Just <laughs> look at the artifacts, you know, right. see with your own eyes right. what you're looking at, because uh, often the captions are like a, an obfuscation. They, they actually cover up or try to erase or I, I don't know that they're doing that on purpose I don't mean to imply that but there's just a lot of misunderstanding because of history because right. of history right I, I can probably go into my little conspiracy theory on it but I think there are some elements of it where they are deliberately trying to distort something well, I've seen things- enough and I've read enough where I think okay this is not an accident it's this again patriarchal Aikido, where it's just, I'm going to flip this around so that I'm still standing. Well, you know, I would say that's absolutely true about the American and the British archaeologists and their teams that go and, and do exactly that, like they've done at Shadalhuyuk. Um, and then you go to the museum in uh, Ankara in Turkey, and I don't know how it is today because I haven't been now for almost 20 years, well, anyway, 15 or 20 years. Um, but but it used to be that the museum captions still reported what the Turkish people actually believe about their own history. And of course, they, they, they weren't Turkish at that point. Anatolia means the land of the mothers. And it was uh, before the Turks entered uh that's actually an interesting point, I think, to point out for people. Sometimes when I, I mention to both of you, when I'm talking to people about the stuff we discuss, 
they ask where the what region these things are in and where they're from and it's i have to explain that people have moved around this our story that we're retelling the story of these women these matriarchs is a story of movement yeah and so um the turks if i'm not mistaken vicky uh, the people who are in turkey now arrived in the first millennium ad if i'm not mistaken that sounds uh, right i'm I okay have that down but i think that sounds right and uh, and and then the ottoman turks came late in the second millennium uh right and uh changed you know certainly changed and contributed uh enormously to interesting uh clothing changes and uh c cultural changes right. Um, right but but uh way, way before that, and the Anatolia that we are mostly looking at in this podcast, it's all uh, the land of the mothers. It's all prior to the arrival of, of the Turks. It's a different population. Yeah, it's exactly. important, I think, to note. Yeah. I didn't know it was called land of the mothers. That's amazing. So. Yeah, isn't that beautiful? And the thing about what's so wonderful about, or was at least 20 years ago when I was spending a lot of time in Turkey, the, the people love that history. They're Turkish people. They're, they're Muslims. They, they, uh, but they were very, uh, what's the word, Un, unorthodox or uh, secular. They were secular Muslims. Now that may have changed a lot at this point. Right. Erdogan and all that, you know, I think it's not the same. But, uh, but in general, because the people had such a great love of all the cultural sites and the incredible heritage of goddess sites and, and uh, icons, iconography, that the, the museum at Ankara was very truthful and very interesting, just fascinating with all of the different uh, figures and figurines and jewelry and things like that from over the millennia. Hmm. I guess, I guess one way to look at it, it's like here we are in North America and unless you're of native indigenous origin, the, the things that you're seeing that are here are being seen by a population that wasn't here when those artifacts, those structures were built. Yeah. So the appreciation of it is the same, I would say. Yeah. Yeah. Something like that. So I think the thing I'm really uh, holding up here and wanting to have us understand about the third millennium is that these were still somewhat intact peoples, you know, and uh, they were they were on the move because they had to be. But wherever they settled, like Troy and Lemnos and uh, Lesbos and uh, the Cycladic, they didn't settle, well, we don't know about the Cycladic Islands, but and Malta, wherever they settled, they they were quite intact, and they still had the tradition that we've seen from uh, so many millennia earlier in both Turkey and Greece and, uh, and the Balkans, um, and that it was a theocracy. It was a governed by women um, culture, but not in the sense necessarily of big one big ego governing a, a country or a tribe or a confederation. Uh, it's gynocentric rule in the sense of the female group, the council of women. Uh, they sometimes they they describe it as colleges of women and councils of women and. Uh, you know, groups of women were really mm. important in the early, uh, this is still prehistory, you know, this is the Bronze Age. 
And so all around them and and the, the substance of the Bronze Age that has come down to us in our educational process is all about generals and chieftains and weapons and wars and and changing of the guard. But what I'm trying to tell is a different story, you know, of what these matriarchal, matrilineal, uh, peaceful, originally peaceful, nonviolent uh, by choice cultures uh, were doing. What are women doing? That's always what, uh, uh, you know, women's history revisionist is doing, because the women are always left out, whether it's right. the Middle Ages or the, you know, it doesn't matter. And so that's what I'm trying to do with prehistory, but there, there's, there is not a written record to even tell us the other story. It's just the, it's just the interpretations from the archaeologists and the historians that give us the stories. I thought of you, Vicky, because I was listening to something on the Bronze Age, uh, a video, and the, the narrator said, the Bronze Age, of course, the most important element of it that is the element that gives it its name bronze built for weapons and it just went on and on and I, thought, and I thought of you and I thought okay well you know there's another way to interpret this but, <laughs> but it's true you know we find bronze and and even later uh, in the in the first millennium amazon graves the scythian women or the sarmatian women uh, they do have bronze weapons uh, they are using bronze weapons and iron by that time right you know, right. so the, the, that's what I'm saying about the third millennium that was different from anything earlier is that these intact cultures had been disrupted and, uh, and very uh, brutally treated, and they took up arms. Right. And no wonder, you know. I've always been, uh, I, I believe in nonviolence, you know, I love the Gandhian approach and so on. But I, I also am not a pacifist. I, right. I, I would certainly defend myself, and I support women defending themselves. Um, yeah. I think it's, it just doesn't serve us. It's, it's uh, in a male-dominant, violent culture, and we have been for 5,000 years, and it's a problem. Yeah. And we, we, have, to, uh, we have to save what we love. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. There's that wonderful line from uh, Peter Jackson's Lord of the Rings that, um, oh God, I wish uh, I should have it in front of me. But uh, Eowyn, Eowyn, who is uh, a princess in a, in a horse riding culture, um, basically, you know, she, she's been practicing the sword and, and, uh, uh, lead male dude comes upon her and says, you know, why are, why are you, you know, why are you fighting? You shouldn't be fighting. You should leave that to the men. And she says something to the effect of, we learned long ago that, um, you know, you don't have to be a man to die on, on a sword. Oh dear. So, you know, you better learn to defend yourselves essentially. Yes, and they and 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 saving what you love is saving your own life, saving the lives of your children, of your people, but of it's your culture. Also, yeah, it's the culture, you know, and the cultural yeah. values and these these gold icons and things that they took with them on the run whenever they moved. Uh, they those icons. Well, we know from 
a lot of the esoteric science of our time that the that gold has a vibration you know it has a very powerful and very important vibration very positive hmm. and, and they were using it to make uh priestess garb basically right and, and uh, they took that stuff with them for good reason they uh there are even um much later in the late late bronze age early iron age uh, they found those uh, pointy conical gold hats, extremely profound uh, pieces of artwork, but hats for a woman to wear that were buried underground like hordes. They call them hordes. You right. know, I think they just there was this constant effort to save the culture through its, uh, you know, through its people and its uh, religious beliefs and its. Uh, sacred relics in a way absolutely yeah yeah and and in the cycladic islands for example the third millennium uh, islands that are so important in the aegean the a lot of the figurines they've found they know to be heirlooms because they've been broken and repaired hmm. you know, cracked and and uh put back together with uh, some kind of a nail or whatever they would have had at that time Right, right. I mean, it's very interesting to see how things were passed down, and and especially, I think, among the women. And that's why, you know, so many thousands of years later, we can look at a tea towel in Moldova and and see the goddess. Right. And see the old culture and the old motifs in Bulgaria, in Romania, in uh, Macedonia, in Greece, you know, all the same. The rugs have patterns that are from ancient times, the the figurines, the pottery has patterns from ancient times. And of course, the language holds. Uh, linguists are always having to sort out the Indo-European words that came into the culture from the old uh, words that were pre-Indo-European. Right, right. It's, it's, it's a constant process, and that's how they figure things out a lot of the time. Just listening to you, Vicky, talk about this is, it's really wonderful because I, the, the image, like you talk of the story of this flight, the story of these priestesses trying to maintain their culture and fight for what they had, fight for who they were. It is a really beautiful story. And it is that story that we are obviously on this podcast, we're trying to make sure we pass it along, we emphasize it, we show the truth of it, because yeah. it really is amazing that in many ways, one of the techniques of patriarchy is to erase, to eradicate whatever you've tried to conquer. And we're saying, no, let's bring this back and restore it. Yeah. Uh, because it is, it is a resistance. Because that's, you know, again, the point of today's episode is about where are these Amazons from? What are they about? And so that resistance and saving culture, like you say, it's just a really beautiful imagery. 